Welcome to episode three of the Supertop podcast. This week, we'll discuss Vesper, which is a note-taking app for iOS launched in 2013, made by Brent Simmons, John Gruber, and Dave Wiskus. And it just announced that it was shutting down last week. So we're going to get into some of the details of that. Um, I'm joined by my co-host, Ashin. Hi. And we're also joined by our special guest, Brent Simmons. Brent is a longtime Mac and iOS developer. Um, he's had a long storied career. If you don't recognize his name, maybe you'll recognize NetNewsWire. He was the original developer of Mars Edit, Glassboard, and of course, Vesper. Thanks for joining us, Brent. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So... One podcast episode that I've been listening to recently, which is from your podcast, The Record, the last episode of that from 2014, you, you guys had two episodes back to back where you basically turned the mics on yourselves and discussed each of yours, your careers. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes because it's a really great resource for getting a look back over your career. It's a really nice episode to listen to. You know, I, I forgot that we had done that. Uh, that's cool. What a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Great backstory. So one interesting thing around that. So the that episode was recorded just before WWDC in June 2014 and just before the launch of Vesper 2. And a year later, in June 2015, you published your blog post uh, called Love, um, which was about looking at the realities of indie development. And it feels like a lot of things maybe or some things had shifted in your mind over the course of that year. How, how was that year for you? Well, the year was in, in some regards um, immensely rewarding. You know, we shipped Vesper 2 and I had worked for quite some time on the syncing engine and um, I hadn't done that kind of work in years, uh, but I did it carefully and I think really, really well. I, I, I thought I nailed it. And, you know, since that time, we've had very few problems um, from anybody, you know, very little support. And I've basically not had to touch the server. So that was super rewarding. At the same time, you know, right after Syncing came out and we released Vesper 2, we made very little money. And that was a little bit heartbreaking. Um, it, it, it was tough to deal with, knowing that so many people wanted this feature. We work hard, we do the feature, we do it really, really well, and it doesn't really affect sales of the of the app all that much. And that that really, that, that was tough to deal with. Um, and I, I think it, you know, it, it scarred me a bit. I'm, I'm still, I'm not sure of the right word. I'm still not pleased <laughs> how, how that turned out, yeah. To put in all that work and then not have it pay off, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. On that the sync diary that you did, I have a friend who was working on CloudKit at Apple at the same time you were writing that, and he told me that he was following along with your blog posts, making sure that they didn't, you know, that they didn't make any of the mistakes that you were outlining or followed all the same patterns. So it definitely had an impact on CloudKit. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I hadn't I hadn't heard that, but if it could help other developers, then that that's great. I mean, that was that was why I wrote it up. Well, also to help myself think and get feedback from other people, but, you know, leaving it behind as, uh, as something other people can learn from, even if they're just learning from my mistakes, that's totally cool. That is quite an achievement to have built a sync system and had it more or less work without having to touch the servers. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things I'm, I'm extremely proud of. What do you think changed between, um, between those two points when you were finishing that podcast and you were excited to launch the, the new app? to when you were at the love post, which was more about finding new reasons 
to justify doing this stuff. Did the App Store itself get more difficult in that time? Or was it already that way? Or were there factors around the app itself? I don't know if the App Store got more difficult or anything, but I think I just started to notice better that, hey, there used to be a lot of indie developers. Um, I used to know a bunch. There used to be a bunch here in Seattle. And and my eyes kind of opened, and, and I was sitting around with a bunch of developers, and I noticed, hey, there pretty much aren't any anymore. They're, you know, they're mostly gone. Now, the people aren't gone. The people are working somewhere. But but the indie development scene, scene just seemed to keep shrinking, at least among people I knew. Um, and, you know, I know an awful lot of awful lot of developers, but they all seem to be, you know, working for some other company. And so it hit me that, you know, sure, you know, we weren't selling a lot of our apps, but other people aren't too, you know. And and the money in iOS comes from comes from Starbucks or I don't know, Walmart, places like that. It, it doesn't come from consumers saying, "Hey, that's a really cool app. I'm going to buy that for 25 bucks or 5 bucks or whatever." With the exception of Omni, which is where I work now, somehow Omni is like amazing and charges real money and and has super popular apps and is doing great. How does working there compare with? Well, you have a lot of experience of indie life, so um, so how, how do those two things compare? Uh, it's certainly different. This is the first time in my life I've ever gone into an office. I've always worked from home, even when I've worked for other companies, uh, which I have done uh, quite a bit of even. Um, but yeah, I go into an office and. And uh, everybody eats lunch at 12.30. And it's pretty cool to actually have other human beings around. Um, I, I didn't know if I'd like that or not. Because like many developers, yeah, I'm an introvert. You know, j- just leave me alone. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I actually like having other people around. It's cool. Podrick and I work completely remotely from each other. So sometimes I like to imagine the idea of if we did share an office, how would that be? Oh, sure, yeah. It, ha- it happens very rarely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's, you know, it's a nice change. Another really nice thing is that there is a definite separation between uh, work and home life because they are physically two different places. You know, I go to work, I write some code, I come home and, you know, do other things. How do you find that balance between so, so doing work at your day job, for example, and, and taking on your own side projects in, in the evenings? You know, I don't think I've ever been in the position I am right now where I have a, a day job and side projects. Um, you know, in the past, what I've, I've been working on has been my job, whether as an indie or, for instance, at, at NewsGator. I worked there for years, but I, I worked on NetNewsWire that was uh, owned by them. They had bought it from me um, and hired me to continue to work on it. So that was my day job. Um, and I didn't have a side project. So I'm, I'm doing that now, which, you know, is something I realize a lot of other people have done. It's not an un, uncommon thing. And sometimes I only find five minutes to work on it here and there. Or sometimes I get a nice chunk of hours. Um, but what I try to do is not, not stress about the amount of time. Uh, just put in what I can, and it'll ship when it ships. And that's cool. We've talked about a few things where we try to balance the work that we want to do, like the indie stuff, along with something that will pay the bills. And so, yeah, we've struggled with that balance between those two things. Doing contract work uh, is great for making money and you still get some, you get to work on a new project regularly, maybe, but it's always just pushed out any of our own stuff. Like the the contract work gets our best energy and then what's left isn't that much. I, I guess if there was any 
difficulty I had with that love post, it was uh, how do I find the time to have a full-time job that pays the bills and then still be able to do the extra stuff that's really rewarding. But I guess you just, yeah, you already said you make the time, so. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, you, you can't always. I mean, some days you, there just is no time. For instance, um, uh, there's a football game on tonight. I'm going to go home and watch the game. I'm not going to work on anything. I'm just going to watch the game, and it'll be cool. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So one of the angles around indie development and what exactly is it that like keeps us obsessed with this idea of staying indie, and there's obviously certain things that can feel more immediately gratifying about it, or we have these ideas that we want to work on, the things that that drive us ourselves. One thing that I found very interesting from listening about when you were selling Net Newswire and you were trying to, that you had a couple of offers on the table, there was an option of selling it to Microsoft, even though that that was going to be more money, that that wasn't ultimately what you felt was right for yourself or or for the project. Do you feel like for the ideals of indie development or for the reasons that drive us to do these things, often there is a need for us to compromise on and not just go for the maximum amount of money i think absolutely yeah um yeah in in that case if i'd gone with microsoft uh you know they told me i'd be running a small team to create a, a windows version of net newswire which would then ship with actually with the operating system and that's hugely gratifying right they're saying you write this app we're going to put it on you know a zillion computers and that's pretty exciting um i mean really exciting. On the other hand, I don't care about Windows. I don't want to write Windows software. And, you know, this would have, this would not have been the right choice. All the existing NetNewsWire users would have been up in arms, and rightly so, that suddenly NetNewsWire is a Windows product, um, and the the Mac app would have been killed at the same time. So, I mean, this would have been just horrible. You know, more money and bigger audience doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily satisfy the soul. The way I look at it is we write software. Software may not be art, but some of us treat it as if it's our art, right? It's the same way, you know, of a writer. You may have a a day job writing, uh, you know, writing uh, sports for the local newspaper or something, and then at night you're working on a novel. Well, you need to be working on that novel um, because that's that's important to you. and you know you just you just do what you have to do i do think it's interesting that there's a balance like that in indie development that it's not entirely about building a business because a lot of the reaction to any time an app shuts down not just vesper when on red our rss reader we took that over from jared sinclair before we took it over it shut down i remember seeing the same kinds of responses Almost as if there are obvious businessy things that you should do that you somehow completely missed at the start, and a lot of people willing to tell you that stuff. Oh boy, yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, <laughs> there's no end. <laughs> and so you haven't been naive about business stuff in your career. Like I, the two examples that stood out to me are let's say NetNewsWire one had a blogging tool in it, recognizing that the competition had that, so you had to have it too. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. The other thing that stuck out to me was having NetNewsWire Lite be free in order to set a high bar for competitors. Well, certainly, you know, part of the fun for me is playing to win, right? I want to have the best app in whatever category. And, you know, that's, you know, that's just fun. Most of the work involved in, in, in that is actually making that best app. But then there are business decisions to make, too. Sometimes you get them right and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you, you're half right. 
you know, whatever. Sometimes you can do everything right and still fail. I'm not saying that's true with Vesper. I mean, you know, go and read uh, John Gruber's post about that. Who who made the business type decisions in that group, or was it all shared? Uh, everything was discussed and discussed at and endlessly. We're all all sure. three of us are kind of natural born communicators, so we spent a lot of time communicating, um, which was great because when you get you know three smart people together talking things over that's a that's a lot of fun uh in the end um the dis- those business decisions came down to john he's the managing partner i guess it's uh, uh, the ceo even though it's not a corporation he would be the ceo but i don't think it, there was ever a case where he had to put his foot down uh i i think every decision ended up being unanimous you know what apps did you see as the main competition for vesper well, the apps we looked at the most uh, before shipping Vesper, I think, uh, weren't competitors. Uh, we looked a lot at Letterpress, and we looked at Twitterific. Uh, both of those were pointing the way to um, toward a different design sense than what had been uh, the norm in iOS up until then. And we thought, you know, this is probably going to be um, what the future looks like. And so we set out to make that. And then iOS 7 came along, and... Yeah, we, we were pretty close, actually, and that, that felt great. Now, we knew, you know, there are competitors. Uh, uh, there was Apple's thing, of course, uh, Simple Note, um, some other ones. But regardless of how the competitors worked, we had a clear idea going in of exactly what we wanted to do. If there had been something that worked exactly like that, we wouldn't have bothered because we'd have all been using that app already. Um, and it... But that thing didn't exist. So uh, and that's the thing we knew we wanted to make. Those apps that you mentioned and and Vesper itself, of course, I mean, a lot of people look at it now or when uh, they look at Dave Whiskus's blog post that had uh, compared some of the initial sketches for Vesper with the, with the version that was finally released. Um, I remember seeing somebody comment that each the like the first sketch and the final release first version were each uh, perfect examples of what an app should look like on their respective platforms but of course the point was that vesper was not released on ios 7 it was released before ios 7 do you think in any way that the changes that ended up happening with ios 7 end up diluting the uniqueness of vesper that's a good question i hadn't really thought about that i think it's i think it's objectively true that if ios 7 if ios hadn't made the changes it had made Vesper would um, be a d- more different, uh, more unique. Um, but I bet a lot of other developers would have started following because we weren't, we weren't even the first, right? I mean, we were whatever, nth number, um, fairly high profile, but we weren't the first to go with that new flatter look. So it looked like designers all over were starting to go that way. Exactly. I guess it's not a coincidence either that designers in Apple were going that direction as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, yeah, and uh, you know, I'm glad iOS seven changed the way it did. I think that was that was the right move at the right time. Uh, and it's almost painful now to look at screenshots from iOS six and earlier. Um, stuff sure looked funny. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty strange looking back. To us, it was great. We thought it was great, but you know, it really did look funny now in retrospect. Yeah, the same. It's the same with old Mac stuff as well, I guess. Things have their things have their eras, <laughs> and that stuff changes. Or it changed so gradually with the Mac that it, 
it's more you look back in retrospect it seems strange but with ios it was really like there was one day where everything just flipped yeah that's true yeah yeah os 10 10.2 or whatever looks insane like how could anyone have ever used that and yet at the time we thought it was startlingly beautiful so i've seen the sentiment that like if john gruber brent simmons and dave whiskers can't do it no one can i guess they mean that there was a lot of combined design and development talent um along with a an easy way to reach a huge huge audience of people who really care about well-made apps so just wanted to get into how important do you think audience is in these kinds of things yeah so like what kind of benefit do we get from having um three somewhat well-known names with the blogs and everything i think that helped us on launch day um it got the word out and we probably made more money that first month than than um somebody less well known would have made but it doesn't really help beyond that you know the app has to has to resonate and pick up an audience based on its merits um and either it does it or it doesn't it's nice to put that in context cuz you often hear the sentiments like that's okay for marco that was <laughs> you know as if there's some unfairness to having a pre-existing audience and that it's just an instant way to win yeah and 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 look if you have an audience because you've made really good apps before it's because you're a person who makes really good apps so if you make another app and people you know are more apt to look at it well you've earned that right i mean yeah i don't see how that's unfair in any way yeah for sure i mean that's exactly what we've been slowly i guess trying to build up ourselves over the past few years as well so sure yeah and what you know life isn't perfectly fair right there are probably some super good apps on the app store with developers working really hard and in good faith and who are very talented and who for every reason their apps haven't caught on and maybe apps that should have caught on and haven't and i haven't seen them and hardly anyone else does and that's that's not fair if those apps exist but that is kind of you know that's that's life that's it sucks do you think that having a bigger proven team like you had for vesper does that raise the minimum bar of success that you have to achieve for it to all work out i think so uh you know we needed to make three times the money um that it than if it had just been me working on an app but then again to make vesper required these three exact people yeah yeah you know i could have made a note tape taking app myself uh, even based on the general idea and it would have looked nothing like vesper mhm yeah just from the business side i ashin and i think about this sometimes that any minimum bar we would set for what castro had to make is twice as high now because there are two of us but of course that exact same problem where we couldn't neither of us could make it on our own so somebody has said and i wish i could credit the person that the future of app development is large teams and one person teams just because you know because of that problem that you guys have and that we had you know as soon as you're splitting it up beyond one person it just gets that much harder which is depressing sorry guys <laughs> <laughs> you know that's interesting because i mean one thing that's puzzled me a little bit around like this conversation that people have around well in that in the app development can't work essentially that you need to be a big company and so you need like a lot more disciplines and people focusing on different areas right and i just i guess i keep trying to figure out in my head if like if that is true if like a team of if there's a certain size team that can't make it and there's another bigger size team that can make it 
where is that line? <laughs> like, how big do you have to get before it can work? Well, so one problem is you, you just can't draw too many general conclusions. You know, there isn't like a law of nature at work here where if you have four people, you have 0% chance. I mean, it just, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, so much depends on, on the app, the timing, the marketing. Um, yeah, there, there are just so many variables, and every single story is unique. So it's hard. It's, it's just really hard to say. I think one perspective I had when I like, first got into app development, even before I worked with Podrig, was this like, very precious idea around I'm just going to create the, the perfect thing, exactly what I want it to be. I'm going to make it the way I want it, and then surely some other people will want it also just because I wanted it. But without really thinking about business, without thinking about marketing, without thinking much further than just make build it and they will come essentially and i feel like more slowly over time i've started to with the help of podrick as well but like that together we've started to realize that we have to like pay attention to some other areas and parts of the business as well do you feel like you have always have you always had a like a bigger picture on things or or have you been have you gone through stages of just focusing on you just want to make the thing and, and see what happens? Um, the business has always been fairly close to my mind. I I don't, I've never spent a ton of time thinking about it, but um, but when I need to, I, I do. One of the things is I just try to keep stuff simple. I, th- I think, well, really in almost all respects, but <laughs> uh, but in business, you know, try not to, I try not to get too complex. I mean, there are, you know, various opportunities sometimes come up or ideas or whatever. And I just try not to um, spread myself too thin or make too many deals or do whatever. Um, And just try and keep it simple. Yeah, sometimes I think when I like read over some criticism of things, like I'm thinking particularly of some criticisms around when Unread shut down before we took it over from Jared. Um, some kind of very high level kind of business analysis basically of unread and what it should have been and and part of me thinks well if i i that's not the kind of business i would want to run like i didn't get into this to to run that kind of business so part of me sometimes is a little bit hard-headed and is like well if we can't make it work in a way that is like very satisfying to us and that we are getting the satisfaction out of being indies that we wanted out of deciding this lifestyle for ourselves in the first place then and um yeah how like how much to compromise i guess that's a good question well i'm sure somebody sometime told told picasso he should draw more pictures of flowers and he'd make more money but then he didn't you know i mean you you have to it's your life right and how you feel about your work is massively important otherwise it's it's just not worth your time you've mentioned comparisons to artists an analogy i've been kicking around my head recently is with indie musicians oh sure yeah you know if an indie band breaks up the fans are sad and everyone else you know everyone else ignores it pretty much there isn't like oh you didn't play guitar well enough or you should have (laughs) you know the, the lyrics should have appealed more yeah right you should have toured more or less or why didn't you know why did you have keyboard on track three you idiots yeah or i don't know it just sounded like nirvana to me no wonder they failed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so rare for an indie band to find huge success that it's not its not even assumed that that's necessarily the point, that it's much more about art, I guess. 
I guess that's not how I'd pitch my business to my bank manager, but <laughs> it's certainly a big part of how I think about it and how maybe if there are nice apps in future, that's how they will arise more than them being great business ideas from day one. I think that's true. Yeah. I feel like there's been a pressure in software to make it free. I, I used to blame Apple for this, for structuring the app store in a particular way that to make apps tend towards being free. But there's like a broader Silicon Valley thing here, right? Where we're going to end up in a situation where there aren't many beautifully designed apps or things that fit into little niches that'll just be, there's a podcast app and there's a notes app. I guess the conversation I'd rather have versus like, rather than discussing what business things we might've done differently, it's more like, wow, it, it kind of sucks that it's going this way. <laughs> like, I wish we could change the direction things were going as opposed to like, well, of course it didn't work. This is the real world. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I think, you know, the more we think of our, of our indie software as, you know, as being like an indie band or, or, you know, the novel you're working on at night, um, um, the closer we'll get to feeling okay about it. And some people will get to do more of that than others. I mean, some indie bands do fairly well and go on national tours and everything. And, and some are lucky to pay, play the, you know, the corner pub. Um, and that's okay. So um, one thing you've alluded to, written a little bit about lately, is your secret Mac project that you're working on and that you hope you're going to to work on for for the next 10 years does does the mac ex still excite you more than ios yeah it does um i've been a i've loved writing mac apps for so long for so long before ios even existed um and you know i realized yeah i still love writing mac apps i'd rather be writing mac apps than than anything else um and and part of it is you know the mac has been so great for so long um and part of it is also that Mac users are, I think, a unique set of users. Uh, Mac users, not every single one, but a large enough group of Mac users really care uh, about user interface. They really care about getting their work done on their Macs. Um, and they're more than happy to spend um, real money on real software. And then they actively root for their favorite developers to do great. Um, and maybe there's a little of this on iOS, but not enough, I think, to keep all these apps going. Uh, on Mac, it's it's the development isn't necessarily easier because AppKit has some crufty bits, and Mac apps are broader than iOS apps, so it's not easier necessarily to develop. But I think it's easier to have an indie success story with a Mac app than anywhere else just because you have an audience that loves that stuff. Do you think that's an audience that's that's growing, that like new people are coming to the Mac and feeling the same way, or is it that it that's the way things were on the Mac five or 10 years ago, and, and those every, those people are all still just as interested as they were then? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised that if there was some magical way to, to get the number of these people, that it's the exact same now as it was in 2005. <laughs> um, but which is fine because in 2005 I was making a whole lot of money with my indie software, right? I mean, if if it's the exact same situation, then that's actually really really good. And I wasn't the only one doing well in 2005. I mean, there were there were plenty of other Mac indies, you know, not just me. So does that, does that comfort you in a sense, or does that like make you feel a lot more comfortable about moving back to the Mac for your next project instead of iOS? What comforts me more is 
a few different things. For one thing, I'm 48 years old, and I, I decided, you know, I've probably got one more app, you know, written and designed by me uh, left in my career. And so what will it be? I pick the app, and I'm working on it, and I, and I have just kind of a peace of mind that, you know, this is the app I'm doing. It might take a couple years to ship because 15 minutes at a time, right? Um, but, you know, it's the thing I want to be working on. And it's, it's um, so that feels good. The other thing is I don't actually have to care that much about it making money or not. It can make no money, and I would keep working on it anyway. Um, you know, after all, Omni does provide a paycheck, right? And, you know, I do have some savings, and I put money away for retirement, so I'm doing okay. Um, the, the economics are not uh, that important to me, and I'm lucky to be in that position. Um, I'm in that position because I'm older, but that's fine. Is there a point in that Mac project that it could be, it could turn out to be quite successful that it would pull you back in? Um, it could, but you, you know, is that something you want even? Yeah, no, I really, you know, I really, really like working at Omni. You know, the apps here are fantastic. The people are great. Um, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Well, that's, that's really great to hear. <laughs> yeah. No, heck, you know, maybe it, you know, makes a whole ton of money and I'm just making like a crazy amount of money all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I don't expect that though. And I, and I won't be disappointed if it doesn't come to pass. In the rest of your career, do you usually, have you usually felt secure of the next, you know, the next few months or the next year? Like obviously, I guess during that newswire, when it was going well, you did, but what's the balance of that? Like versus i guess in vesper for a lot of the time you must have been on your toes hoping that success was just around the corner yeah yeah certainly that was a weird experience um when i was working on that newswire before i got to 1.0 i was brand new to cocoa i'd written mac apps mac toolbox apps um but nothing this big and nothing um nothing i'd released to the public i'd worked on some written by others but you know my own from scratch so those 10 months or whatever where I was working on 1.0, I didn't know what would happen. And at the same time, my, wife, my wife's company where she was working was going under. So it was quite possible that we were going to both be unemployed and I'd have an app that makes no money. So yeah, that was you know, an insecure time for sure. Uh, but I was in my whatever middle or early 30s and you know, I could handle that insecurity fairly well for the time. Sounds like it worked out for the best anyway. It sure did, yeah. <laughs> One more thing I noticed on the podcast was uh, you mentioned you were recording in your office, and I think Chris mentioned that there were some uh, Macworld Eddie Awards that you had. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is a cool achievement among your peers, at least, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those they, they mean a lot to me still, yeah. Sure, yeah. I don't know if you've ever picked one up, but they're surprisingly heavy. The first thing you do upon picking one up is thinking, this would make a really good weapon. <laughs> you totally brain somebody with one of these. <laughs> well, it's good to have that around. <laughs> what occurred to me when I heard that, though, was that there I don't feel like there is any kind of awards thing that has that same meaning. I mean, there's the Apple Design Awards. I guess that's that's the extent of what exists still. But they seem very, very specific to what Apple is trying to encourage that year. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's an indie version of that. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and that's a shame. It, w it would be nice if there was something. Just as a way to encourage or like to celebrate the things that matter beyond popularity or 
um, financial success. But like, you know, the Oscars aren't for the movie that made the most money or the was seen the most. They're for, you know, other things that that industry values. I have, in fact, thought about um, trying to get some people together and, and finding some uh, and developing some like indie awards thing. Yeah, I think that would be amazing. The problem is I want to be up for an award. And if I'm on the board, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't organize it then. <laughs> I bring it up because I think those things could be more important still if if we're doing this kind of stuff out of um, out of a love of the craft or that kind of thing versus um, versus you know the guaranteed financial success of the app store. Yeah, I think it definitely comes back to like celebrating celebrating the craft, as you say, and celebrating the other aspects that we bring ourselves to get obsessed over, other than ju- other than just the business side of things. Do you want to buy Vesper? Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm curious, did you, because this is the first, you wrote that this is the first project that you worked on that you shut down in the end instead of selling. Is that something that you considered at any stage or did it just seem like it was had natural to close it down instead? Um, I think that John and maybe Dave have talked to some people and I don't think the talks got very far. Um, so it was something we considered. The The real big issue though is we're turning over not just an app, but all of these people's private notes, right? Which, you know, you you can't just sell it to somebody who has who has the right amount of money to give you. You it has to be, you have to really, really, really trust whoever you're selling to, and and you know we did. I don't think we were in the position where we talked to somebody we didn't trust and didn't pull the trigger. I, I, at least I haven't heard that that came up, but that would be a major consideration. So that makes it a little harder than just, you know, some selling just a regular app. Yeah. Yeah. And for us, when we took over on Red, it was as much, I think, Jared wanting to give it a good home as as a financial arrangement, I guess. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's a tough proposition to take over an entire app and, and actually live up to the responsibility of looking after it properly. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. We still work on on Red, and we have plans for it in the future. But recently, we've been so focused on getting Castro two done that we we've started getting messages from people asking if it's still in active development. In quotes, I always hate that. You know what? I use on listen, audience. I use Unread every day, and I never, I, I never ask because I don't even notice if it gets updated or not. Maybe it does all the time. Beats the hell out of me. It like it works. It's great. It's a wonderful app. I'm so happy to use Unread every single day. <laughs> I bought this thing once, and I I expect it to continually bring me new joys. <laughs> yeah, I spent five dollars, and it's three years later, and I want I want more ponies. If people are fans of things, then that's that's usually a sign you're on the right track. So I shouldn't complain. <laughs> that's. Yeah, that is true. The worst is when you just hear nothing from nobody. I, I do feel a little bad that we haven't been able to get working on, on Red 2 as soon as we would have liked to. Yeah. It's a real commitment to take on an app like that. So I I hope you still find somebody. It sounds like from Twitter that people are suggesting things and like open source ideas and things like that are kicking around. Yeah. Yeah. We've, uh, uh, before shutting it down, we already started talking about uh, doing an open source release uh, and then a bunch of people asked for it. So. You know, we've said that it's under serious consideration. I don't know if that would do a whole lot for the world, but if nothing else, it's a historical artifact, I suppose. So 
Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Would you open source it as a way to just share the lessons of the code with other people or as with the intention that someone might build it and submit it to the store? And um, Rather is just, you know, here's how we used to make apps, you know, um, because there are a lot of things have changed, actually, since Vesper was largely written. So it's it's not even... You know, it's not even modern. So that was something we thought about when we took Castro One off the store. Is like it's a pretty radically different looking app, and we were really proud of it at the time, and we still are. But now, now it's kind of gone. And in a few more updates of iOS, it'll probably break somehow. And it's again going back to this idea of making if if it's about making something artworky, it's kind of sad that it can be so transient, and it's going to be tough for a computer archaeologist to recreate this stuff in future. Yeah, I've started wondering about different ways that uh, is there like any way of for us to preserve it in some way, even not necessarily in software form, but just to have some record of it that we that we can keep around as oh yeah, we made this. Do you think you'll keep uh Vesper around running on your phone or will you, will you stop using it at the same time as you remove it from the store? I'll be the last person to keep using Vesper. Because I can just build and run it, you know. <laughs> Thanks so much, Brent, for joining us. Thank you, guys. It was a it was a pleasure to chat to you. Yeah, it's been it's been nice. So, if any listeners want to uh, get in touch and keep track of your secret project when you announce it, what's the what's the best way for them to stay in touch? Oh, just follow my blog uh, at uh, inessential dot com, or my Twitter, Brent Simmons. Great. Hey, listeners, if you haven't checked out Castro yet, you should. And don't give him shit about Unread. Jesus Christ. Unread is great. We'll be back soon for more episodes of the Super Top Podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening.